Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Okay, I don't usually do the cold open, but I've been just like staring at my monitor for so long, learning that in 16 months, the Governor General of Canada, that is uh, Mary Simon, if you'd forgotten, you are just like everyone else in Canada, so I don't think it's too, too bad, uh, spent $38,000 on clothing. $38,000 on clothing in 16 months. Now, I don't even think I've spent that much on clothing in my entire life. And before the Twitter trolls start saying, well, no surprise there. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I do not claim to be the best-dressed person in Canada. I sometimes might claim to be the best-dressed person at True North. But even then, I think that's probably a competitive category that I would lose out on to uh, Ellie Kenton Nantel. Uh, yeah, he no, he's the best-dressed at True North. But I don't even think my colleague Ellie Kenton Nantel spends $38,000 on close in 60 months. If so, uh, we're probably paying him too much. Uh, Harrison Faulkner, he likes the white shirts. Uh, sometimes those can be expensive, even though, uh, in my experience, the expensive white shirts look the same as the cheap white shirts and don't last nearly as long. So I may, I don't know, maybe he spends 38,000 on white shirts. Uh, Candace Malcolm, she's very fashionable. I just sat down with her for an interview. I don't know what her clothing budget, but I like, I don't think if you took all the true North people combined, and said, all right, add up how much you spend on clothes that were near what the Governor General of Canada spent in the span of 16 months. This is uh, baffling to me. The National Post has a, a story about it. It was first reported by Blacklock's reporter. In the last five years, uh, Governor General Julie Payette and Mary Simon expensed about $88,000 in clothing. So that's between the two of them. Now, uh, with Julie Payette, I mean, the spacesuits are probably pretty expensive. I I don't know if she was expensing the spacesuits or not. Uh, certainly she governed in that role like she was a space cadet, so it's not entirely uncharacteristic if she did. Uh, but some of these are going to be the ceremonial things. You know, you got to put on the nice dress. You can't wear the same outfit twice, the coronation outfit, the uh, outfit for the queen's funeral. These things you might want to spend a couple of thousand dollars on, but I don't even know how you get to that. Uh, I was looking at this story, $450 for an accrue hat. Now, I happen to know what accrue is, and I don't think I've ever spent $450 on anything that was accrue. Uh, maybe paint. Actually, accrue paint does cost a, it. It accrues, one might say. I'll see myself out. Uh, $20 t-shirts. Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, 200 clothing items expensed by Julie Payette and Mary Simon uh, that have price tags ranging from $3,000 to a black velvet dress with silk lining. Payette purchased that in 2018. Uh, or the $1,895 white gloves that uh, Mary Simon wore to the Platinum Jubilee for Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. I haven't even told you where we we are, by the way. This is the Andrew Lawton Show. It's good to have you aboard. I am decided uh, that I'm so terrible at dealing with uh, sports that I have done the one thing I know even less about than sports, which is fashion, uh, which if you are... Look, I mean, this shirt actually... 
is a shirt and I know nothing about it. I was about to tell you the brand and then I realized I have no idea. I just sort of bought it one day and I actually, I hate the shirt because I'm not going to complain. It's got a very stupid thing on it where like sometimes men's shirts come with a little plastic tab so the collar doesn't, uh, you know, like it stays out and the plastic uh, little stick sticks through the collar to such a point where I just don't wear the plastic stick. But you know what? Uh, Maybe if I were spending $38,000, I wouldn't have a plastic stick infused or induced wardrobe malfunctions, the likes of which uh, Canadian taxpayers are on the hook for. I'm looking right now. Our comments are uh, basically uh, telling telling everyone what people are making. Uh, Apparently, it's called a collar stay. Uh, Harrison has just uh, told me this. So maybe Harrison is the contender for the best dressed at True North. It's it's called a collar stay, not a pointy plastic stick. All right. The more you know. Uh, <laughs> what else is going on here? Water bottle on Twitter, perhaps not his, or on YouTube, perhaps not his uh, legal name, uh, says his pants are $25 plus tax. Well, the tax can get you sometimes. Um, let's see. Uh, Renegade writes, I bought a Montreal Expos jersey once for $150. I thought that was expensive. Yeah, um, I, di- I mean, I didn't know anyone bought uh, Montreal Expos stuff, but that's a bit of an antique item right now. And uh, Ryan says, this is no longer irreverent. This is pretentious. Uh, I'm being pretentious, he, he suggests. By I'm, I'm a man of the people. I'm talking about how little uh, ordinary people spend on clothes relative to our uh, global elites here. Um, <laughs> Pike asks, would you rather our king's representative looks like a dress-down ragtag? There is an expectation our government officials dress accordingly. So herein lies the very important question. I do not believe for a second that we should just be sending over, you know, rag dolls, uh, to use this term, uh, the people that are not putting on their Sunday best when they are representing His Majesty the King in Canada. Uh, The question that I have is whether we need to be spending $88,000 in a five-year period. Uh, Why can't we put a royal commission on winners and home sense and just find some clearance stuff? I don't know if... uh, uh, Mary Simon has uh, trouble buying off the rack, which I'm told some people do or, or not. Uh, here's my thing, though. This is a woman who makes $340,000 a year. I am not suggesting Mary Simon is poorly dressed. I am suggesting that perhaps she can afford to buy her own clothes, apart from the ceremonial garb that she wears that is basically a uniform, in the same way that if you get a job as Prime Minister of Canada or a Cabinet Minister or a CEO or a lawyer, uh, you are expected to take a little bit of the money you make and buy things for yourself to wear. I mean, you you don't get to use the, well, if my company expects me to wear underwear to the office, I've got to buy underwear and bill the company. Now, uh, the camera goes down here for a reason. True North wouldn't splurge for the pants budget for yours truly. But the problem we have right now in Canada is that the Governor General's office seems to breed entitlement no matter who is in it. We're not just talking about uh, Mary Simon's clothing budget. We're also talking about Julie Payette's clothing budget. We're talking about uh, David Johnson's expenses, which he has keep continued to run up even since losing uh, the gig several years ago. Uh, Adrian Clarkson, who was uh, for a lot of uh, the time, she was the uh, governor general for, for quite a few years. Mikhail Jean, they were like maintaining offices as the letter of the law allows them to do even after they left that office. 
and basically making what amounted, if you looked cumulatively at multiple governors general, to millions of dollars in office expenses, while all of them were using those offices to fuel their careers as authors and public speakers where they made money in the private sector, uh, but were continuing to have the taxpayers subsidize their work and what they're doing. So, uh, no, my, my issue is not that Mary Simon happens to be well Do we have any pictures of Mary Simon to put up? I know the, the thumbnail. Maybe we could just like cycle through the outfits and start doing like the, who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? Uh, to to uh, Her Excellency Mary Simon. The issue is not that she, we don't have any pics of Mary Simon. Okay. So we don't even know, uh, not that we want to start becoming fashion critics on the show, because that would be like a, uh, that would be, just be a very, very bad look for me for many, many reasons. But the whole point that I'm bringing here is that this governor general gig brings out the very worst in people. So I, I don't even think the individual occupants are the problem as much as the culture. You have all these people that work at Rideau Hall that when they get a new governor general start saying, okay, you can expense this, you can expense this, you can expense this. And it becomes very much consuming. And I'll, I'll give you a, a personal example of this. So years ago, when I was a university student, I did a, a brief internship on Parliament Hill. And when you work on Parliament Hill, you're walking the corridors of power. You have all of these uh, receptions that are giving you drinks and food every night of the week. Uh, you feel important, even if you're kind of a know-nothing kid like I was. And the thing was, is that people very quickly learn the way the rules of the game are played. And I remember people telling me, ooh, well, you know, you can actually get your dry cleaning done by the uh, Parliament Hill, by the House of Commons dry cleaning service. And if you say it's your, if you say it's like a member of Parliament's clothes that they're dry cleaning, they'll do it for free. But it's not for free. The taxpayers pay for it. And lo and behold, people that I knew did that. They uh, would say, oh, yes, uh, here are my boss's uh, suits uh, to get dry cleaning. Because at the time, and I don't know if it's still the case, members of Parliament could get their dry cleaning done for free. Instead of what most normal people people would have to do in the world, which is dry clean their own darn clothes, uh, because that was what you needed to do to go to work. And it might have been billed back to their office budget. But again, it's still one way or another, the taxpayers who are on the hook for it. So all of these things tend to add up. And when you are a fiscal hawk, someone who looks and sees uh, waste in government and you want to push back against it, it's amazing the amount of resistance you get. I mean, uh, take a look at just one exchange in the parliamentary committee yesterday, I think it was, where Christian Freeland is fielding what is a very reasonable and fundamentally simple and fair question about the debt and decides to turn it into some smear on on conservatives. Take a look. Tell the committee and Canadians how much we're spending or projected to spend on interest on the debt this upcoming fiscal year. Um, just looking for the number. Let me just say, because I think it's important to put things in context, that in M both... Minister, my time is very limited. I'm asking if you know the number. You have a lot of officials beside you. Will you tell Canadians how much we're going to spend on servicing the debt next year. Here's what I think that it's really important to put numbers in context without context numbers are meaningless. Our debt service charges are low in Canada's his, in historical context and they are low compared to what our peers in the G7. Thank you are for the paying. context. What's the gross dollar value we're going to spend on interest on the debt next year? 
and let me again, I really am opposed to fiscal fear-mongering by the Conservatives. And so the important point to make Minister, for Canadians is that in historic context, our debt service charges are reasonable and sustainable Respect, and Minister, you're, lower you're... than they have been in many previous years. So, again, I, I don't want to extrapolate too much from what was a bit of showmanship on both sides, but I do think it's revealing, you don't need to extrapolate much, that when asked how much Canada will spend to service its debt, which is a, a very easy question. I mean, when you're paying your mortgage and you get the breakdowns from your mortgage company, they tell you how much principal is left and how much uh, interest is left and how much of each payment went to which, because it's important. You want to know how much you're spending on nothing. You want to know how much you're spending on interest. And in the case of Christian Freeland, she views this very fundamental question, which she clearly doesn't know the answer to us being fiscal fear-mongering, wanting to know how much we're spending on something is to the finance minister of Canada fiscal fear-mongering. So you take that attitude and you broaden it to the government halls in general, and it's amazing how much entitlement is the norm, that we are not supposed to question. Us mere mortals are not supposed to question, we mere mortals, that should have been, how much is being spent, what it's being spent on, why it's being spent, and this, I mean, I, I'm actually going to do a bit of a, an experiment right now. I'm going to type in uh, two words, and I'm going to tell you what I typed in, because I'm guessing that someone out there has accused... I'm going to might have to do this after the show. Someone is going to accuse people who criticize Mary Simons and Julie Payette's clothing budget uh, as being sexist or misogynist. They'd be like, well, they wouldn't criticize men for uh, spending that. Well, let me tell you, I would. And if I find out that David Johnston was uh, spending uh, however much, uh, however many tens of thousands of dollars on clothing, perhaps uh, he was getting stuff at a steal when he was uh, over in uh, China palling around with Xi Jinping, uh, I would absolutely criticize that. I mean, maybe David Johnson's love of China was uh, also equating to frugality because he only uh, had to pay uh, the manufacturer's factory store prices in Xinjiang. Who knows? Uh, but this is exactly the problem that we have with the governor general's role. And I think it's why people sour on this institution that does have a role in Canada, because ideally you don't want your prime minister prancing around like a king or a queen. You want your prime minister to focus on the serious business, and you then want the governor general to be the one that glad hands and goes to the events and all that. But again, when you're paid $350,000 a year to do what is a fundamentally simple job, which a trained monkey, to be honest, I don't even know if you need to train the monkey to do it, but a trained monkey to be charitable could do the job of Governor General of Canada. Maybe you can buy your own darn dresses and t-shirts and a crew hat. This doesn't seem like a very difficult ask as a Canadian taxpayer. But I will say, I mean, if you're talking about overall waste here in government, billions and billions of dollars, I don't think this is the tip of the iceberg. Well, I don't think it's anything more than the tip of the iceberg. But we've seen that the little things are what people hold on to. I mean, if I were to mention uh, how much does a cabinet minister 
spend on a glass of orange juice for years and years everyone will be able to say $16 because they know that is the going price of orange juice at the Savoy Hotel if you are Bev Oda but if you say how much is Canada spending to service its debt you get Christian Freeland going oh fiscal fear mongering you know pay no attention to the giant pile of debt behind the curtain uh, you don't get to ask those questions you don't don't get to talk about those things and I do think that fiscal transparency, which is not the sexiest topic, it's not necessarily an irreverent topic in my eyes, but uh, to the government it is, because they don't want to talk about it. And to governors general, they don't want to talk about it. Like Julie Payette was one of the most disgraceful figures to occupy the role of governor general of Canada because she actually went into it thinking that she was going to be this powerful figure and she didn't actually want to do the part of the job that is the only reason the job exists which is the ceremonial bits like I remember there was one story I had read I can't remember which one it was where it was like she had basically tried to configure the office in such a way that it was a maze to get to her that no one could actually find her office and like she had it was like I was imagining like Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire where she like she's the goblet in the middle of the maze and she just has like dragons and traps and things that if anyone tries to get near her they end up just getting like vaporized into thin air which to be honest would make uh, Rideau Hall a lot more of an interesting place if we actually did uh, do traps and dragons and snakes and sharks with laser beams on their freaking heads and all that stuff uh, but she actually didn't want to do the job but somehow she managed to build taxpayers uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars on all of these uh, trappings of the job that she didn't want to do and the whole point here is that this is something that breeds entitlement. And we cannot allow, we cannot allow uh, this job to be above scrutiny just because it is vice regal and supposed to be apolitical. Uh, the figure my colleague just shared that uh, Julie Payette did for renovations uh, so far since 2017, $502,000. So uh, more than the average Canadian will spend on a house, she spent just to reconfigure this property to be to her liking when she didn't like any of it. I mean, the whole point was she didn't even want to stay in official residences when she was traveling. She had this like beautiful, uh, you know, old uh, palatial estate in Quebec City, the Citadel, and then she didn't want to live at the Citadel. So uh, she was like booking a hotel room. So, uh, but that I think is more the norm than the exception. And I think if this is a role that is about service and about uh, representing your country and representing the crown, then perhaps you can do it while buying your own t-shirt. That's like I know I've said it like three times, but that's the takeaway here. Uh, you know, take your three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Maybe you just siphon off, you know, fifty thousand dollars of that. Uh, you know, clothing, hair, shoes, makeup, whatever you need. Take it out of that and leave the taxpayer coffers alone. In any case, we are going to move to a local story, which I think is one that may have national implications here, and that is the by-election in Portage-Lisker, which is one of the most conservative ridings in Canada. And if you need evidence of that, you need not look further than the results in the last few elections. It was previously held by Candace Bergen, who was uh, up until recently the interim leader of the Conservatives. And uh, Candace Bergen, she, and I've just pulling up the numbers here she won that riding in 2021 with 52% but it also happened to be the strongest showing for the People's Party of Canada in the last election with the PPC candidate getting 21.58% of the vote well now that there is a by-election we have a conservative uh, Brandon Leslie running but we also have Maxime Bernier the leader of the People's Party of Canada who has stepped up to seek a seat in the House of Commons once again and he joins me 
me now. Maxime, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you, Andrew. I'm very pleased to be with you. So obviously you are not a, a Manitoban. Why are you uh, choosing this riding to run in? Because like you said, it may be one of the most uh, conservative riding in the country. And I, like I said, the Conservative Party of Canada is conservative only name. They're fake conservative. And I will tackle the real conservative issues, family values. That's why today I said to people here in Portage Lisgard that, you know, if I'm elected, I will table a bill on abortion. Can you believe that, Andrew? We don't have any legislation on abortion <laughs> for 35 years, the Conservative did nothing the last 35 years. And I said, enough is enough. We need to have a legislation that will uh, forbid late-term abortion. And that was a discussion of today. And it is in line with the, the values of the people here in this writing. But the fake Conservative won't speak about that. Actually, Poliev won't say the word Abortion is too afraid of the mainstream media and also the radical uh, leftist feminists. We are not. It's a common sense par political party, and that's why I'm running here. And it's a little bit like in Bose. In Bose, well, <laughs> that was a rural riding. It's a rural riding here. And I'm very pleased also that there's a francophone community here in Portage Discard. So I'm here, I'm running here, and I will be with them before the election, during the election, and after the election. Since you bring up the abortion issue, I, I wanted to get to that with you anyway. Uh, let me just first contextualize this for people. Are you pro-life or are you pro-choice? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy that wants to have a debate, and that's why I'm, I'm tabling that legislation. I said we must do the first step, Andrew. We didn't have any legislation. We are the only country, all the European countries have legislation on abortion, and usually it's uh, illegal to have an abortion the second trimester. In my legislation, I'm saying we must end the late-term abortion. It must be illegal for a woman to have an, uh, an abortion after six months. And so I believe that every reasonable person must agree with that. And I'm saying to Pierre Poliev right now at your show, Pierre, why do you want on board babies to be killed after six months of pregnancy? Why? If you agree with me, why you don't want to reopen the debate? And so answering your question, Andrew, I, I think that ideally we must have a legislation that will ban abortion the second trimester. Like all <laughs> European countries and all across the world, we don't have that. But let's start by having that discussion in Parliament. And I believe that it would be easy if we have reasonable people in Parliament to adopt that. Because, you know, killing a baby a couple of hours before giving birth, that's happening in our country. And I know that the radical feminists will say, oh, no, no, it's terrible. It won't happen. It is. I said this morning at my press conference, every year in Quebec, and I just have the data in Quebec, the Quebec government, and in Quebec, we have late-term abortion. 20 women every year, they, they are having a late-term abortion in my own province in Quebec. And so that's the case. And we need to change that. We need to have this debate. Yeah. And I'm, I'm opening that debate right now. Yeah, but, I, but again, it was a pretty direct question. Are you pro-life or are you pro-choice, personally? I, I, I would be very direct, Andrew. I won't answer your question. I won't, because the reality is 
this bill is there, and the goal is to end late-term abortion, and I will answer your question by that answer. I, ideally, it would be great to have a legislation that will ban abortion at the second trimester, like all civilized countries. It's time for Canada to be part of the civilized world. So, and yeah. that's why I'll have a lot of pro-life people here in this writing that agree with me. You know, you need to start. I, 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 I want to. I mean, the answer. I want to just get to the precision on here. This the, on Maxine because the the legislation that you put forward. I agree. It, it's a, a a disgrace that Canada has no law on abortion on the books. And and the bill that you've announced this morning would cap it at twenty four weeks, as I understand. Now, uh, data are very hard to come by in Canada on this, but it's a minority of abortions that take place after 24 weeks. I, I've seen estimates that we could be in hundreds of individual abortions on the high end, maybe uh, eight to nine percent. But most abortions are before 24 weeks. So do you think that should be a woman's right to choose before 24 weeks? But you're right about the number. And yes, you know, if we had only one abortion, late term abortion, it's one murder, murder that we must not have first. Answering your question, yes, I said, ideally, we must have that discussion. In Europe, it's all about the second term. And it's, uh, you know, they are regulating abortion at the second term. And yes, we need to have that discussion, but we need to start that discussion before that. So let's have the legislation. Let's approve that legislation in Parliament as soon as possible. And yes, my personal position on that is, and then, so yes, it must be at the second term. You know, a lady will have three months to decide if she want, wants to be uh, have an abortion or not. Three months, it's a lot. But that's why I said, I want to have a, a victory here. We never had the victory the last uh, 25 years. And, and the conservatives are, are so weak. They don't have any conviction. They, they're afraid to speak about abortion. Look like last week, Trudeau said to <laughs> Podiev, oh, you want to reopen the debate on abortion? And, and oh, no, Podiev, no, no, I don't want to reopen the debate. And actually, if you read the policy declaration on the website of the Conservative Party of Canada at page 30, policy 76, they are saying, and I just want to read that to you, they are saying that a conservative government won't reopen the debate on abortion. They won't. They won't, they won't table any legislation on abortion. That's their policy. That must change. And if we vote for a conservative candidate here, it won't. And I understand that people in this writing understand that. I'm, I'm curious about your evolution on this issue. I, I know in the past you voted against pro-life legislation. I, I think there was one years ago about coerced abortion uh, under the Harper government that you voted against. I, I think Stephen Woodworth had introduced a motion. So uh, where has your perspective shifted or, or how has your perspective shifted on this? In 2018, 2018, when we created the People's Party of Canada and, and that the 2019 election, I said that during that election uh, that, you know, uh, we need to reopen the debate. And I had a strong position at that time. I said I'm against sex selection abortion. I'm against late term abortion. So that was a position. And you're right to say that when I was an MP under the conservative, as a conservative under the Harper government, I did vote for a, a bill that was uh, viewed as uh, pro-choice. 
But uh, that's why people here in this writing understand that. And they're very happy that I did that evolution. And now they have a strong leader of a populist, conservative, true conservative party, common sense party, that is ready to have that debate. And because I'm raising that debate, journalists will ask questions to Polyev today, if not tomorrow. And I hope you'll do that, Andrew. Ask him the question, yeah. why are you, are you so afraid to reopen the debate? When we have 51% of the population, Angus Reid 2020 survey, 51% of Canadians said, enough is enough. We need to end late-term abortion. And Polyev, like all these other important issues, he won't speak about it. He won't speak about climate change and, and, and the Paris Accord. He's, a, he's in line with the Paris Accord. We will withdraw from the Paris Accord. He's taking the conservative vote for granted out west, and people in this writing understand that. And that's why I believe that people here will make history like they did in 1989 when they elected for the first time a reform party candidate, Deborah Bray. Deborah, when they elected her in 1999, that was the first one in a by-election. And after that, the reform had 51 MPs at the, last, the next election. And the, the other next one, they were the official opposition. So people in this writing understand that they can make history and we can have national debates on important issues for the future of our country. And, and I will. I, we've invited your uh, conservative opponent onto the show, and, and we will ask him about this because I, I agree. And, and I'm, you're not saying anything that I find offensive in uh, wanting there to be a debate on this. The, the question has been about whether you are, I think, the most likely candidate to bring up that debate. So let me just ask you one more question on abortion here, Maxime, because a lot of pro-life advocates reject what's called the gestational approach, which you've just articulated, which is putting a limit in a certain place, because they think that uh, if you say abortion is not acceptable after 24 weeks, you're saying it is acceptable at other points. And, and I go back to your own personal conviction on this. If you could write any law you wanted, not just what you think is politically saleable, but what your ideal scenario would be, when should abortion be a choice and when should it no longer be a choice for women? at my press conference i said ideally it must be at the second term like okay. every 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 uh, country in europe so i'm asking these uh, radical feminists why you know italy france belgium uh, germany why it's okay very liberal countries a lot of the time too yeah and and they're progressive countries you're absolutely right and these uh, you know uh, elites, uh, journalists are going, I know that from Quebec, that the, some of them are going to Italy for their summer. You know, they have a legislation on abortion and you cannot have an abortion after the second trimesters. So it must be a discussion here. And I'm very pleased that I bring that. Speaking about my opponent, he will be with you. And he may say that he agree with my position, but that's not the question. The question, he can say what he wants in the writing, but when he'll be in Ottawa, he will be silent. The question is the leader, Polyev. That's the question, because you know, they are controlling their MP on abortion. We know that, I was part of that team. I know, I know that. So he can't say anything about abortion. It's not important. And people in, our right, in this writing will know. They know that it's coming from the, the leader of the party, he is pro-choice 
and and he won't he, he won't allow any debate so i'm very very pleased that we will ask that question to my opponent but please ask that question to my opponent as a leader to pierre poliev that's the most important answer that we must have that canadians must have Let's turn to the riding itself here. So we were discussing earlier, Maxime, the PPC did very well in, in Portage Lisker relative to uh, everywhere else in the country. It was the strongest riding. And I, I know you obviously want to win. Uh, but but as far as the bigger picture here, what do you consider a, a win short of a, a victory on the ballot? I mean, do you feel that you need to get that 20% of the vote to prove that the PPC is still the force it was in 2021? <laughs> I like your question, Andrew. A win is a win. So <laughs> a win for me will be <laughs> to be the MP for people in Portage Lis Guard. And I'm here campaigning full time for them. Uh, my schedule is full and I'm very pleased with that. So for me, a win is to be their MP the night of the election. And I believe that it's doable. We have a strong team and, and people understand they have the opportunity to send a message to Ottawa right now. And, you know, it's not about splitting the vote. That ridiculous uh, uh, argument is not valid. We won't change the government. The Trudeau government will be there after the election. So it's safe for them to vote for the PPC and to vote for me. And actually, I will be their insurance policy that Polyev, if, <laughs> if he has the courage to be a conservative, I will, uh, I will support him. But I will bring that debate in Ottawa, and I will support Polyev when or if he is a real conservative with real conservative family values. So it's a win-win for people in this riding, and they understand that. That's why my answer to, to your question is a win is a win. No, and I appreciate that. And it's always funny when you see politicians who lose and then they get on stage and try to find a way to make it seem like they really won, like the, you know, the popular vote or something. But 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 the point I guess that I was getting at there, Maxime, is that a lot of political columnists in Ottawa, who I know are not always the most credible sources, have said that the PPC's success in 2021 was kind of a temporary blip because of the pandemic. There was this frustration with all of these circumstances that might not be there right now. And I and I guess Yes, I'm, I'm just curious what for you the stakes are if you don't do as well as your candidate in 2021 did. I must say, Andrew, that all these uh, uh, mainstream media journalists, they said the same thing in, tw in 2019 when I, we had 1.6% of the vote. They said, oh, that's the end of that party. B goodbye, Bernier. Mm -hmm. They all wrote that. And now after the last election, 5%, they were a little bit surprised and didn't have any choice to cover my election the last three weeks of the, the last campaign. And uh, now they're saying, and 5%, and now they're saying, oh, you know, Bernier won't do anything. He won't be able to have 20%, 25 He won't be able to do like his candidates. So I don't want to answer that. I, I, you know, for me, they're not credible. I'm here on the ground with the people, and that's why I believe I can win this riding. And I spoke with my people on the ground, and they are in agreement with me, and they're working hard for that. We'll see what will happen, but for me, I strongly believe that it's a riding that I can win, and I'm doing all the effort to do that. So what these journalists are writing, it's not important for me, and I don't mind. 
Manitoba is a bit of a, an interesting province for you to be running in because you're a convict in Manitoba now. I mean, as of yesterday, the court has uh, put this, I think it was a $2,000 fine on you for uh, campaigning in, in Manitoba. And I, I played that clip of your arrest back then when you gave that famous line and the police officer asked if you had any weapons and you said only only your words, which I, I thought w was quite, quite brilliant and, and quite clever. But uh, let's talk about why you decided to not fight this as much, because a, a lot of people have, have been looking at uh, the legal challenges that are underway and really hoping that there's going to be this reckoning in the court system uh, on COVID penalties. But you actually pleaded out, as I understand. Yeah, no, what I said, it's very important. I didn't say that I'm guilty of anything because under a provincial law, you're, you're not guilty. So what I said, to save money for the taxpayer here in Manitoba and to save court time, because it was supposed to be a three-day hearing, it was only uh, half a day, I said, you know, and I'm a responsible politician. I said, yes, I was there. I, I, I did a, a meeting in a park, and I didn't want uh, all the, 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 the police and, and all these witnesses saying that I was there. So I did admit that I was there and I did I did that I did admit that it was uh, 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 it was not in line with the regulations at that time so because of this uh, admission of facts we had uh, an argument only on the the penalties the fines so and, and you you ask a good question why not appealing to that decision and going to the appeal court because here in Manitoba there one case that is right now in front, uh, before, sorry, before the appeal court of Manitoba about the same subject, illegal gathering in a park. So that's why we will have a decision from, uh, from the appeal court maybe this year about that. So I didn't need to appeal that. So for me, <laughs> I'm responsible. I said I was that. And also I had time to speak to the judge and I told the judge that all these regulations were unconstitutional, illegal, immoral, and I'm not appealing your decision because there's a case and we'll know what the appeal court will say. But at the same time, don't forget, Andrew, I'm appealing a decision from the federal court with Brian Petford about my right and the right of Canadians to be able to travel freely across our country. We are appealing the decision of the vaccine passport that were imposed by the Trudeau government because we had a decision not in our favor uh, at the um, federal court. So we are appealing that and we will go up to the federal court, uh, to the Supreme Court, sorry, uh, about that case. All right, Maxime Bernier, by-election candidate in Portage-Lisker and leader of the People's Party of Canada. What are you uh, most looking forward to about being back on the campaign trail? Yes, I'm going back. We have a rally tonight with Laurelyn Thompson. And, uh, you know, um, it's, a, it's a huge riding. I'm a little bit surprised, you know, going to one part of the riding to the other part of the riding by car. It, would be two, it can be two hours. So I'll be on my car. I will be in each corner of this riding. And I'm having fun here. I, I know that you may, you may see it, but I'm having fun. It's great. We'll see. And I hope that you'll be able to cover our campaign. And I'm very pleased that I had the opportunity to be with you, Andrew. All right. Thank you very much, Maxime Bernier. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Bye-bye.
All right, that does it for us for today. We'll be following all of the by-elections. Now, interestingly, if you follow the uh, the chattering classes, the Laurentian media, they kind of view every of every one of the by-elections as being a hold for parties. They say the Conservatives are going to hold Portage-Lisker, they're going to hold Oxford, the Liberals are going to hold uh, Notre-Dame-de-Grasse. I forget the, the fourth one right now, but uh, they're not expecting anything too exciting. But you never know, by-elections are notoriously weird, uh, which is not a scientific analysis by any any stretch, but uh, weird things happen in by-elections. There are weird dynamics, and it's kind of a microcosm of whatever the national debate is at a particular point. But uh, fear not, uh, Dominic LeBlanc has told us that the by-elections are going to be free of Chinese interference. So if all of a sudden a, a Chinese consulate pops up in Portage-Lisker, the government has failed. You have to keep an eye out for that. Or one of these weird... Actually, maybe one of the Chinese police stations can arrest Maxime Bernier. They uh, uh, Apparently, more Chinese police stations are setting up all across the country now, so you never know uh, if they start popping up in these ridings that are uh, having by-elections. That does it for us for today. We'll be back in just two days' time with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. Hopefully all have negotiated one of those uh, Governor General-style clothing budgets uh, with the powers that be at True North. If I show up dressed like Don Cherry on Friday, you'll know I won my fight. If I show up dressed like this, uh, please donate and buy me some clothes. Uh, We will talk to you all soon. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.